sir. All right, great. Thank you very much. All right, good morning. I tell you, how many of you are early risers? Raise your hand. Ah, that's why you're here. Okay. (laughs) All those other people like myself are still in bed thinking, oh, man, I lost an hour. Yeah. I'm going to show you some pictures here, and I want you to tell me what all these people have in common. So let's take a look. Who do we have here? Oh, Andy Williams, uh, uh, crooner, like Christmas, uh, wonderful stuff. All right, who else do we have? Who's this? Michael Duncan from the Green Mile. Yeah. Who do we have here? Anybody? Anybody? Sun Young Moon of the Unification Church, the founder of the Unification Church. Who else do we have? Who's this guy? Neil Armstrong, very good. How about this guy? Oh, yeah, we all know. <laughs> Dick Clark. Now, what do all these people have in common? They're dead, exactly. <laughs> okay. Thank you, Gene. Uh, there's a second thing they have in common. What's that? They all died in 2012. Okay? All right. Now, you're what are you talking about, Dan? Why are you talking about this? Well, we're talking about this because we're studying through the book of Ecclesiastes, Wisdom for Everyday Life. And Solomon, in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, spent some time talking about death. Yes, it's not a very popular topic. People feel uncomfortable talking about death. They feel uneasy. We've got some fears, obviously, related to death. If you want to kill the summer barbecue this year, it's right in the middle of you know people enjoying their food, laughing, telling stories. Uh, they say, "Hey guys, you know, let's talk about death. What, what do you think about death? How are you feeling about that? You know, well, you're going to kill that party. You'll never be invited back again. That's one thing in our culture we don't talk about. We don't talk about death." For many different reasons, there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of uh, just questions, and and just like the unknown. And for a lot of people, they realize that they're now walking with God, and they uh, have rejected Christ, and that there's a good chance they'll end up in hell. A lot of thoughts go through people's minds as they think about death. So let's see what Solomon Asked to say, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 1. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise in their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know both are before him. So what we need to realize here is that Solomon is still conducting his grand experiment. Can you find meaning and satisfaction under the sun without God. If God is not part of the equation, can you find the meaning and satisfaction that so many people are looking for? And obviously the answer has been no, as we've studied through the book, but he's still thinking through all the issues. And now he's considering death as opposed to life and the relationship between them. And of course, we've said over and over again that you don't chase after the things that this world offers, but you chase after Jesus. He says, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds 
are in the hand of God. That speaks there of God's sovereignty. That God is in control. When we hear about North Korea issuing a nuclear threat against our nation, that's concerning, right? You think about Iran and what they're trying to do with nuclear weapons. And Syria, what's going on there? Who's in control? God is in control. God's in control of what's happening in this world, and He's in control of your life. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. I believe what he's saying there, whether blessings or sorrow are going to come into your life, we don't know. We don't know what the future holds, but God does. Both are before him. So as we continue on our journey, we don't know what each day holds. God does, and that's where we gain our comfort and our confidence in the future. We look at verse 2. It is, he says, uh, it is the same uh, for all. Since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, as a good one is, so is a sinner. And he who swears is his who shuns an oath. It is the same for all since the same event. What is the same event? It's death. Death is going to take Everyone's life. It goes on and says, that, one thing you've got to realize as we read this, this is poetry. When you look at uh, Ecclesiastes, it's part of the poetry, poetic books. And so poetry you have to read different, for example, than let's say Paul in the epistles. Paul's very linear, very straightforward, very logical. Well, you're reading poetry, so you have to read it in a different way. There's all different types of ways of expressing things, and poetry certainly is a very beautiful and unique way. And so he's laying this out, and he's saying, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, it's going to happen to Billy Graham eventually, and it's certainly happened to Osama bin Laden, to the good and evil. That really kind of is what he's talking about here. He's contrasting, you know, good, righteous, worshiping people and people who are evil, bad, sinners, that kind of thing. Uh, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. So he's talking about people who worship God, who are ceremonially clean, who make sacrifices, and those who are unclean, who couldn't care, and who don't want to sacrifice to God. As the good one is, so is a sinner. So the good and the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. So he's talking about, again, what we talked about a couple weeks ago, the idea that people would take O's in the temple. So people who take O's and those people who might take an oath and say, I'm not going to fulfill my oath. Bottom line is that they're all going to die, both good and bad. Now, it's not an accident that we die. In fact, we look at Hebrews 9.27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. God has our number. God knows the day that he's going to take us home if we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it says that there's going to be judgment. And if you take Jesus Christ out of the equation, if we were to die without Jesus, which many people will, sadly enough, they will stand before a righteous God 
and a God who will look at their life and see sin, and a God who's holy and needs to mete out a penalty for that sin, which is eternal separation from Him in hell. Now, that is bad news. That is really bad news. That's why death is called our enemy, because it's the last opportunity we have to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But friends, <laughs> let me remind you that we have the good news. We have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know that God wanted a relationship with us in the midst of our sin, and while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. He bore the penalty on our behalf. And because of that, we are made righteous. Christ's righteousness is put upon us as we come to God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. There's nothing I can do to improve my condition. I put my faith totally in you. What Jesus did on the cross. I repent of my sin and I ask you to save me. And God does that. And if you've never made that decision, we would just encourage you to do that. Encourage you to talk to us so that we can tell you more about how to take that step. But this is the good news that we have. I just love how it's explained in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? And death is our enemy, and it wants to be victorious. Oh, death, where is your sting? I may have been stung by a bee. Yeah. That's why we avoid bees, right? <laughs> well, as you know, what typically happens is if a bee stings you, their stinger gets caught in you. And they can't sting anybody else, right? Well, Jesus Christ was stung for us. Jesus Christ took the stinger. He took the penalty for our sin. And if we embrace that, if we accept that as a free gift, death cannot sting us. Yes, we will die. It might not be a very pleasant experience. But at the same time, we know that once we die, we're going to be in the arms of Jesus Christ. And that is the good news of the gospel. The sting of death, it says is sin. Yes, sin is what causes this thing of death that disqualifies us from a relationship with God. And the power of sin is the law. The law reveals our sin. When we look at the law, we say, there's no way I can do that. And God says, yes, that's the purpose of the law, is to reveal our sin. Then we look at verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news. We have victory over death because Jesus Christ has taken the stinger out of death because He paid the price for our life. What wonderful news we have. And as I was praying through this, I was thinking, you know, it's so easy for churches to become country clubs. 
Now we've got this great news to get out to the world. And because of just the way we're wired, uh, we tend to view our family not as a mission with the gospel to proclaim, but we, we kind of view it as a country club. Now, I've never belonged to a country club, but I've heard a lot about them and talked to people who have been a part of country clubs, and you pay an insurmountable amount of money <laughs> on a yearly basis to hang out with the right people, right? And when you go to a country club, you're not thinking, who else can I get to this country club? You know, you're thinking, how can they serve me? You know, is the grass green enough on the, uh, the golf course? Uh, is the food good enough? At the restaurant, is the fitness center updated enough? Are my kids enjoying themselves? Are they making the right friendships? Am I making the right friendships? Because I'm paying for this, right? And sadly enough, we take that consumeristic mindset into the church. And we say, I'm going to this church, and is the music good enough? Are they singing my songs? Is the preacher good enough in keeping me interested, challenging me? Am I being fed? Are my kids happy in the programs? Uh, are my needs being served? God never intended it to be that way. You see, God has put our family together as a mission. It's not about how we feel. It's not about... You know, this is right or this is wrong or those kind of things. It's all about the mission. It's all about getting the gospel out. I think about uh, the Wayside Mission. Gene Heckerberg is our missionary to the homeless down in Elgin, and he's heavily involved there at the Wayside Mission. And as part of our Heart Strong Compassion initiative, we want to cultivate a stronger uh, relationship uh, with them. But, uh, you know, when Gene goes to work, he's not thinking, you know, the homeless can be nice to me today. You know, <laughs> he's not thinking, uh, am I going to have a, a good day today? And, and no, no, he's on mission. He's there to help people. He's there to sacrifice. He's there to give, not get. That's what a mission is all about. And friends, we are a mission. In a hundred years, as we look at maybe, let's say, 10-mile radius around this church. In 100 years, everybody is going to be dead. Everybody who's living, everybody in this auditorium is going to be dead in 100 years if Christ does not return. We're going to be dead. And all the people in this area are going to be dead. And the only question that is going to concern us is not how good our meal was last night. It's not about what vacation we're going on. It's not about how happy we are in life. It's not about whatever. It's about who's in heaven and who's not. Who experienced the grace of God on this earth and who didn't. And that is our mission as a church. And friends, we need to engage with God. We need to be filled with His power in carrying this mission out. And I am so excited because Easter is only 21 days away. Only 21 days away. And we have great plans 
for Easter because we know that people out there feel an obligation to attend church on Easter, and we're going to use that to our advantage <laughs> because they don't know Jesus. It's an obligation, and we want to teach them that, hey, it's a wonderful thing to be able to come out and know the love of God and experience it on a daily basis. And so uh, we're asking you to be in prayer. This is our mission. Uh, take out this blue insert here. Blue insert. And it says, uh, let's pray that God would double our attendance this Easter. Double our attendance this Easter. It's not because we just want more people. No, we want unsaved people. We want people who don't know the knowledge of walking with Jesus, the experience of walking with Him. We want to fill this place up at our 9 and 11 o'clock services. So we're doing everything that we can, and it starts with you and it ends with you. Now, we're sending out 45,000 postcards, and we're praying God would use those. But we're not dependent upon postcards. We're dependent upon everyone that's sitting in these chairs right now. You have the personal responsibility as part of this mission, if you're a regular attender here. You, you have a, a mission to go out and invite people. Invite people. In fact, we want to encourage you uh, to fill this out, to write down the names of individuals. You don't have to fill out all five if you can't think of five people you might want to invite. But fill out just their first name and then fill out your relationship friend, co-worker, family member, and say, these are the people that I'm going to pray for and that I'm going to invite out. And something we forgot to put on this insert is name and email. So please put down your name and email because we're going to send you a prayer list. I sent out a prayer list to the 39 people that turned this in, 145 people who were praying for this past week. We want to double that this week. So I want to encourage you to, to write down the names and the relationship, and be sure to put your name and email, and I will email you a list of everyone that uh, we're inviting out. And I, I encourage you daily, print that list out or however you might work with documents, but pray. Take names from that list and say, Lord, I pray for the person, and then pray for those people, and then pray for our services, that God would show up in a, in a wonderful way. We've got our postcards in. 45,000 are going to be mailed out, and we've got a bunch of them out there because we want you to take these postcards. Friends, it's one of the easiest invites you can make. Just say, hey, listen, uh, we'd love to have you come out to our Easter services. Oh, you know, I, uh, I've got you know, Easter brunch with my family. Oh, that's great, you know. Well, if you'd ever like to come out, we'd love to have you. There's some other dates here. We've got a Philippian series starting uh, that Sunday. And so, therefore, you'll see the different uh, topics that are up front. But that Philippian series will go uh, through the end of uh, June. So all I had to say is invite them out. Uh, go through your neighborhood. All right? Put them. Uh, first, first of all, I'd encourage you to ring the doorbell. If you don't know your neighbors, get to know them. <laughs> Great way to get to know them. Hey, my name's Dan Harrison. I've lived down the street here for 15 years. and <laughs> I want to get to know you. Uh, no, I said, hey, listen, our, our, I'd like to invite you out to our Easter services. You might always say, I'd like to out, invite you out to Easter services if you're not going to any other church. Because that puts, you know, then they can say, oh, I'm going to this church when they might not be. But whatever, you know. <laughs> Again, it's easy. They'll just say, oh, I'm doing something else. Oh, that's fine. Hey, listen, if you can ever join us. What if each of us went out in our neighborhoods this afternoon or sometime this week and just made the rounds? 
and say, hey, I'm Dan Harrison. I live down, well, don't say my name, but I'm whoever. And I live down the block, and I'd love to have you out at our Easter service if you don't have a church home. And both of us say, oh, okay, whatever. They're not going to shoot you. They're not going to swear at you. Well, maybe, <laughs> if you hit the wrong out. But all that to say, and if that's just too much for you, and I understand that, get, get post-it notes, okay? And just put a post-it note on there and say, this is from your neighbor. You have a chance I'd love to have you. Okay? Uh, don't ring the doorbell and run. No, that's not good. But, you know, just kind of put it in the door and, uh, and then start praying. You know, prayer, prayer walk your neighborhood. Go around your neighborhood or prayer walk your job, wherever you're inviting people. But let's get these cards out. It's, it's you. It's me. We're on the mission. We're not depending on a mailing. Now, hopefully that will bring some new people in. But it's you and I that are on this mission. And if you feel uncomfortable, you need to talk to somebody about this and say, why am I uncomfortable? And process through that. Yeah, it is uncomfortable. But, again, if we're going to get God's work done, if we're going to see people come to Jesus, if we're all seeing 52 people come to Jesus this year, well, this is where it starts, getting people out to hear the good news. So who's invited somebody out to Easter? Okay, Bob, let's stand up here. Who'd you invite out? Uh, is this live? Hello? Greg and Kathy, my neighbors across the street. Uh, what did they say? Uh, they said, sure, they'd be here. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. So they didn't swear at you? No. Oh, okay. That's good. <laughs> That's good. All right. Who else? Who else has invited somebody out to our Easter services? Three weeks away, 21 days. I- I've invited a couple of my neighbors out. Oh, Michael. Okay. Tell us who you invited. Yeah, that's right. Okay, they're scared. All right. We've invited uh, Barb's sister and brother, and then uh, both of my kids, they don't attend church, so hopefully they'll come on Easter. Oh, wonderful. Very good. Anybody else? All right. Now I want you to raise your hand if you invite somebody. I won't come to you. Raise your hand if you've invited somebody out to Easter. I say, oh, come on. Joanne? Big. Okay, anybody else? Okay. Don? Very good. Friends, now is the time. 21 days. The earlier the better. Okay? And we'll keep asking this question every week. We're on a mission here, okay? It's an easy mission. We're talking about lost people. All right. We've got good news to share. People need this news. And if they don't hear this news, they don't respond to this news, that's bad news. All right. Well, let's continue on here. Please, uh, 9 3. This is an evil. Now, he's talking about death. And death is an evil, right? In the sense that God never intended Adam and Eve to die until they sinned. And then, of course, he brought death upon the world, part of the curse of sin, but also just to keep us from living on this ball in a sinful world forever. That would not be good. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to us all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil. Now, that's talking about sin there, not death. And madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. Then in verse 4, But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog 
is better than a dead lion. That's an interesting proverb. A living dog is better than a dead lion. Well, we know back in that day, dogs were despised. They were they were scavengers. They were kind of like rats, right? Now, some people have rats for pets, but that's weird. Um, again, dogs were like rats. And now, again, you can see this with Goliath, right? Remember David and Goliath? Verse 43, And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog? Am I a rat that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. But then we look at Proverbs 30. And the lion, which is mightiest among beasts, and does not turn back before any. The lion of Judah, right? The lion was king. King. So we go back to the verse. It's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. Right? I mean, it's great to be a lion, but if you're dead... It doesn't do you any good. So you might as well be a rat. You might as well be a living rat. It's better to be a living rat than a dead lion. He's saying, "Hey, you know, it's better to be alive." Now, it, you know, it got me thinking. Where are the cats in the Bible? So I did some research, and I found out that the Israelites, because they were oppressed by the Egyptians, they were enslaved by the Egyptians. And cats were worshipped by the Egyptians. That's probably the reason there's no mention of cats. In fact, we here we see an idol of a cat uh, from the days of Egypt. And cats are kind of like little gods, aren't they? Maybe there's so many cat lovers in this room. But, uh, you know, I'm not saying, you know, having a cat is, is ungodly or anything like that. I would never say that. It's interesting to think about. All right. Well, we move on here. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9.5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. He's talking about dead people. They got nothing. No rewards. I'll tell you what. Here's my, my Panera card. How many have a my Panera card? Raise your hand. All right. It's great to be part of the club, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, I started use. I'm not big into these things, but I go to Panera a lot. So I said, oh, yeah, sure, whatever, give me my Panera card. And I spent like a couple hundred bucks a while ago on something for the church. And I was thinking, man, they're going to shower me with rewards. And I spent a lot of money there, okay, and, and, and nothing was happening on my next purchase. And I said, how, how does this system work anyway? And I spent a lot of money here last time. And they said, well, it's based on the number of purchases that you make. So, all right. Every once in a while, they show, they throw me a cookie, they throw me a drink, to keep me happy. But I tell you what, when Dan Harrison dies, he can no longer use his my Panera card. I can no longer be rewarded. A dead person cannot get out of their house. A dead person cannot drive to Panera. A dead person cannot purchase something. At Panera, a dead person can't be offered something at Panera, a free cookie, a free beverage, because they're dead. No more rewards. You getting Solomon's point? <laughs> and they're no no longer forgotten. I, I can just imagine 15 years after my death, and, and two people are talking. Hey, you remember Dan Harrison? Oh yeah, D Dan Harrison. That's right. Yeah, I know him. 
Yeah, yeah, he's a pastor at Springbrook. Yeah, yeah. He was a nice guy, wasn't he? And the other person says, oh, you know. <laughs> I want to be forgotten, okay? It goes on. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Dead people can't do anything. Dead people can no longer impact life in any way because they're dead. You understand what Solomon's saying here? He's really driving this point home. Okay, so what, what, what's his point? Well, we, we go on to verse 7. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Whoa! Wait a second. I tell you, this is an entertaining book, isn't it? Six verses, he's hammering death. You're going to die. Everybody is going to die. And once you're dead, you can't do a thing. Then he says, hey, Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. I mean, Solomon drunk on something here when he's writing this? Oh, this is an inspired word of God. Now, you got to remember, this is poetry. So with poetry, it's got a different feel to it. It's not linear, as we talked about before. And there's exaggeration. And there's a lot of left turns, sharp left turns. Like, well, where'd that come from? And what Solomon is saying here is he's saying that while you're alive, live! Live! Engage! Do something! Because soon you'll be dead and you won't be able to do a thing. So he says, start doing something. And I, Man, I tell you, I love this verse. Go eat your bread with joy. What a great way to start, huh? I mean, that's an easy command to obey. Huh? Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved. He's put His seal of approval on eating good food. So I want you guys, after the service, to go out and eat. Eat and obey God. I would encourage you to maybe go to the Golden Corral, where you get the most for your money, and eat yourself under the table. And go home and take a nap. Oh, what a great afternoon. And you can say, I obeyed the Lord. I obeyed the Lord. He says what Solomon is saying here. While you're here on earth, experience God's everyday gifts. Experience God's everyday gifts. And food is a very everyday gift. It's interesting with the Israelites, what they would do, is that they would have a light snack in the morning. Again, first of all, they were, they were farmers. <laughs> we lead lives of leisure, don't we? And, and, and so they would work all day long, sun up to sundown. They'd come in for a brunch. And, but when the work was done, they would come in and they would have a meal. And this meal would consist of bread. It would consist of wine. It would consist of maybe a vegetable or a fruit that was in season. They hardly ever had meat because it was so expensive. They were, they were poor uh, people. But I tell you what, they loved that. that. That was the highlight of the day. That's when they broke bread together. 
Because whenever we talk about food in the Old Testament, we're talking about eating with someone else. It really is the idea of food and and people. They always went together. Food and family. Whenever you were eating, you never ate alone in the Old Testament with a, with a big meal. You're always eating with other people. And so Solomon's saying, hey, enjoy your family. Enjoy your relationships. Connect with one another. Lori and I were obeying God at Steak and Shake a couple weeks ago. We were having a brownie and ice cream fudge sundae. Wow. Yeah. It was good. And uh, as we were walking out, we saw this family. Mom and Dad and two younger kids. And they weren't talking. I think three of them were on smartphones. And another one was on a tablet. And I'm thinking... What's the deal with this? Here you are as a family, a very special time, in a very fine eating establishment, steak and shake. And you are not talking with one another. You're playing with your gadgets. And I felt like ripping the gadgets out of their hands and talk, love, engage with one another. I, I don't know what it's going to be like in ten years. I don't know if anybody's going to be talking to anybody. You know, this will be text. I'm sure we're going to go way beyond the text. I don't know what that will be. <laughs> but friends, the young people in our culture are losing the skill of being able to cultivate healthy, vibrant relationships. They're losing key communication skills. So whatever you can do to train your children and to encourage others in our culture, keep talking with one another. Yeah, technology is fine and great and fun, but it's easier to to artificially have relationships than, you know, face-to-face time. So again, Psalm's saying, hey, while you're alive, enjoy God's gifts. He's given you good food. He's given you uh, relationships. Take advantage of that. Now we look at verse 8. It says, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Well, he's talking there about celebrations. They didn't have many celebrations. The Israelites, uh, weddings and different times where they came to Jerusalem uh, for their festivities. But they didn't have a lot of them. But when they did, they partied. I mean, they, they would wear white, which was a symbol of joy. Now, again, you got to remember, they, they were working out in the fields all day long, and so they didn't typically smell that great most of the time. So they typically use olive oil to kind of cleanse themselves. But as we study the Old Testament, when it came to the... The special occasions of weddings, you would put the really expensive for them perfume upon. And, and what Solomon's saying is do this, but do it all the time. It says, let your garments always be white. So just don't wear your garments in a sense, and he's talking in the figurative sense here. He's saying don't, just don't wear your white garments on those special occasions, but wear them every day. Because every day is special. In fact, this is the closest verse I can find in Scripture that, that speaks about seizing the day. That speaks about cherishing today. Living the moment. Being in the moment. He's saying, be all there, man, because when you're dead, you can't experience anything. 
So, so live today, celebrate every day. And I think what he's talking about here is, is uh, enjoying the simple pleasures of life. How well do you enjoy the simple pleasures of life? I don't know. I, I've struggled with this in my life, and, and I'm really working, working hard at it right now, enjoying God's everyday gifts. I've been a future-oriented type person, and always, oh, how are we going to get this done? How are we going to move ahead? But just, hey, today is today. I might be dead tomorrow, as Solomon has told me. Uh, so what can I do today to enjoy God's everyday gifts? One thing I'm going to do, I'm going to take a nap. How am I taking a nap today? I'm always taking a nap on Sunday afternoon. I really need it today. But, uh, yeah, I, I love naps, don't you? The older you get, the more you love naps. Oh, they're great, man. It's like a, it's like you got a new day, right? I mean, you go to bed and you're just dragging. You're in a bad mood. Boom, you get up from the nap. Oh, hey, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, that's a simple pleasure, isn't it? Or how about your dog? Oh, Aren't dogs great? I mean, they come up to you and you come in the door. You, I, don't, I don't personally, but uh, <laughs> my wife is a dog lover. And, and again, they just are so excited to see you. Or your cat, you know. When you come home, if your cat chooses to honor you uh, with their presence, enjoy that. I'm bad today, aren't I? Okay. Uh, <laughs> or good, good TV. Uh, we've got the Bible. How many watched the Bible last Sunday night, 7 to 9, on the History Channel? Oh, great. I tell you, it moved fast, didn't it? Whoa. <laughs> like Noah summing up the first 12 chapters while he's talking to his kids. <laughs> the boats are rocking. <laughs> Ten minutes, they were at Abraham. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I tell you, I was talking with one woman who has a husband who doesn't know the Bible that well, and, and he was asking all kinds of questions. So what a great family event. You know, watch it tonight with your kids or DVR it if tonight doesn't work. And it's a great series. That's a simple pleasure, right? Or music. I mean, again, get into the habit of when you're experiencing pleasure throughout the day. As you listen to some great music on your iPod, say, God, thank you. Thank you for giving us music. For many of us, we can be thankful for our health, right? Just experience our good health. Some of you I know are struggling. And continue to turn that over to God. But if you are experiencing good health, uh, you know, experience that uh, simple uh, pleasure. Time with friends, time with your kids, or how about your take, just taking a shower? I don't know about you, but in the past, my mind has always been going in the shower. I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do? Yeah, no. Just stop and enjoy the warm water. You know, just stop and you see what I'm saying? These are all God's simple pleasures that He's given us, and He wants us. To enjoy life, and even though I know some of you are going through very difficult times in your life right now, and your burdens are heavy, but I, again, this is my homework assignment <laughs> from the Word of God this week, is I want you to enjoy this week more than you did last week, if possible. Okay? I want you to look for the gifts that God has given you, and we're moving so fast sometimes, we're so busy, that we miss those beautiful gifts that God wants to give us. Well, slow down. Slow down and, and recognize those gifts. Enjoy them and then thank God uh, for them. It goes on in verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of your vain life. He does have to throw vain in there. He is Solomon. <laughs> he's on a run and he says, yeah, it's a waste, meaningful, meaningless life. But, you know, make the best of it. That he's given you under the sun because this is your portion in life. Marriage is a portion in life. 
and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. So we're toiling all day, we're working all day, and we need to enjoy our spouse. Uh, I obeyed God this past Friday night. Uh, we got four levels of pizza at our house. We got Jack's Pizza from the grocery store. That's for during the week. And we got Little Caesars. That's for Friday nights typically. Uh, pizza Hut was a step up. We did have Pizza Hut this Friday night. And then Giordano, so that's what we're really celebrating. So all I had to say is we had Pizza Hut this past Saturday night. And uh, our two of our boys were there, which is odd. They're all working, you know, older kids and so we had a great time just talking, enjoying one another. We were obeying God, right? Enjoying our family. And then and Lori and I had a time, and I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but uh, <laughs> we sat down and we watched Downton Abbey and Doc Martin. Now, how many know anything about Downton Abbey out there? Okay. How many know anything about Doc Martin? Okay. Well... Downton Abbey is a very popular uh, drama, and Doc Martin's a very popular comedy. But they're both British shows. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what are you doing, Dad? <laughs> you know, you're getting old when you sit around watching British shows. My mom used to do it. <laughs> she used to watch Masterpiece Theater, which really was the Downton Abbey of the day. And I'm thinking, Dad, it's happening, man. <laughs> <laughs> but they're they're really clean. It's, it's really good TV. Uh, but I enjoyed my wife. I enjoyed my wife, and she she loves when I watch that stuff with her. And uh, it's not bad either. So, uh, so I was obeying God. Isn't it fun to obey God? Oh yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's always fun to obey God. It might be a little painful, but it's always fun because He wants us to have satisfaction in life. Uh, I just want to let you know that I am so concerned about the state of marriage in our world today, especially with the things that are happening in our state. Uh, we're soon to become the 10th state to legalize uh, same-sex marriage. And now the Supreme Court's looking at Prop 8 out of California, where back in 2008 uh, they affirmed marriage was between a man and a woman. And Obama just put a brief in to the court support of same-sex marriage. In fact, I feel so strongly about this that next Sunday I'm going to be teaching, next Saturday and Sunday. We have two more Saturday services left. But uh, next uh, Sunday I'm going to be speaking about the truth about same-sex marriage. I really encourage you to be here because so many people are ill-informed about how this is going to impact our culture and the generations uh, to come. So you're going to be praying about that. All right. We'll look at Ecclesiastes 9.10. It says there, Whatever your hand finds to do, do with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. And that was kind of the place where people went uh, after they died in the Old Testament. Uh, it's kind of a holding place uh, to which you are going. So he said, nothing's happening there, right? So again, engage in the day. Work for God. Uh, and we'd work for Jesus Christ, as it says in the New Testament, serving Him. And again, this is talk, talking about all types of work. You know, I don't know how much you enjoy your job. Uh, it might be... I mean, how many people love their job out there? They just love their job. That is an incredible blessing from God. You need to thank God for that right now, that you enjoy your job. Because many people don't. It's not their fault. Okay? How many can take or leave their job? Raise your hand. I mean, how many hate their job? 
It's okay to hate your job. Okay? All right, well, I'm glad there aren't many people who raise their hands because you get stuck sometimes in jobs. You just can't stand. Well, again, even if you're in that situation, I guess I'm really, again, look for the joy in your job. And I know it's very hard. We get in such a negative mindset about things that we can't see the gifts. We're, we're so consumed with negativity about whatever that these gifts that God gives us on a daily basis, they just pass by. And we say, what have you done for me lately, God? And God says, what have I done for you lately? You're still alive, aren't you? <laughs> you, know? I mean, you know, you're still eating. You're st- There's a lot of things you can, can count for joy in life. So again, as we go out this week, this is uh, what we want to do together. We want to enjoy God's everyday gifts. We want to eat good food with people that we love. We want to identify those pleasures that God gives us on a daily basis and thank Him for it. And then we want to enjoy whatever work it is. And it's just not talking about, uh, you know, your vocational work. I mean, a hobby is a work. Obviously, uh, anything you do, in a sense, is work. And therefore, uh, again, enjoy Enjoy producing things and making things happen because when you're dead, it's not going to happen. That's what Solomon says. Now we know that uh, we have a personal relationship with Christ. We're going to be working in heaven, right? We're going to be working for Him. What a glorious thing that will be. Let's pray together. Lord, thank You so much for the book of Ecclesiastes, and I pray that You would help us to enjoy Your everyday pleasures, Your everyday gifts that You give us as you move into this week. Even in the midst of pain, Lord, I pray that we would continue to identify your grace in our life. In Christ's name, amen.